Open up with me in your copy of God's Word to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We continue to press on, having considered recently the the nature of the Lord's Supper and uh, what that represents as a remembrance of Christ's death. Uh, Previously before that, head coverings uh, and the, 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 the reality that we need to preserve gender distinctions in the church, not collapsing those, and also that our actions affect one another. Paul, in general, has been talking about uh, sort of the right conduct in public worship, especially would be the sort of unifying theme uh, for all of these subjects. He's been addressing uh, issues that have been raised to him, uh, mostly pertaining to uh, conduct in public worship. And so that brings us now to chapter 12 on spiritual gifts. I'll go ahead and read the scripture. We'll try to cover the whole chapter uh, today, uh, I thought about dividing it and then decided it wouldn't be uh, feasible, uh, given that both sections really are one, one point illustrating another. So we'll, we'll try to cover the whole section. Chapter 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good." For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to the other the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? And if the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body." The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and the one and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unrepresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that it lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ, individually members of it, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, 
second prophets, third teachers, then miracles and gifts of healing, helping and administrating in various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But, inter- but earnestly desire uh, the higher gifts, and I will show you still more excellent way. Amen. Well, the passage before us, this chapter 12, broadly speaking, has, I think, two parts. Uh, the first part is sort of giving the, the principle of spiritual things, spiritual gifts. And then the second part is really just an illustration from the 12 to the end of the chapter. It's really an illustration uh, to emphasize and draw out some, some specific lessons for the Corinthians uh, from those principles. So let's start with the principles uh, in verses 1 through 11. Paul is uh, beginning a new section. He says, now concerning spiritual gifts. Uh, actually, it's just now concerning spiritual, and we sort of supply the word gifts based on the context. Uh, but he, he's, he's addressing a concern that's been raised. The, the, the report's been made to him. Uh, there's been some correspondence and communication before this. And now he's addressing each individual issue as, uh, as he goes throughout the letter. And now we come to a new section, uh, now concerning spiritual gifts. And he says, I do not want you to be uninformed. In other words, I want you to know uh, about spiritual gifts. It's important that you know about spiritual gifts. And he goes on to say, you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. And so he's, he's, causing, he's calling them to, to look back. Uh, these are people who were Gentiles by and large, who uh, walked in idolatry uh, for many years, and through the preaching of the gospel, they've been saved uh, but when you're saved from idolatry, you don't immediately know how to do everything, right? <laughs> I think this is pr- pretty obvious if you were saved as an adult and uh, from an unchurched background like myself. You have to be taught how to do simple things that we take for granted, like how do you pray, right? H- how do you read your Bible? Uh, how do you conduct yourself in public worship, which is especially what Paul is talking about uh, when, when, when do you sit? When do you stand? There are simple things that, you know, if you grow up in the church, you just kind of know. Uh, but there are a lot of things, if you're coming from a background of idolatry, that you have to learn. And one of the things you have to learn as a Christian who has been saved from a, an idolatrous background is the, the nature and purpose of spiritual gifts. He says especially here uh, that when they were pagans, they were led astray by mute idols. That is, gods who are no gods. They cannot speak, they cannot act, they cannot do anything, uh, and yet we were still led astray. We, we worshiped them, and we served them, and we conducted our lives in service to them, and now we have this radical change that has happened to us, and we have to sort of reorient our conduct, especially as it concerns worship. You'll remember I mentioned in the previous section about uh, head coverings and, and gender distinctions, uh, some of the Roman pagan habits uh, of worship where men would cover themselves with their togas and worship that way, uh, the, the associations of, uh, of uh, dress with uh, sexual promiscuity, especially homosexuality, lesbianism, these sorts of things. Our whole conduct is changing all of our life, and then especially in worship, we have to learn how to worship God uh, rightly. And so Paul is addressing this issue of spiritual gifts to that end. He says, 
Therefore, I want you to, be un- to understand that no one is speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. And so this is sort of a preliminary principle, because uh, really in the foreground of what Paul is talking about in this whole section is this issue of tongues and speaking in tongues. Uh, and he's going to address it more specifically later in the book, uh, but he's kind of giving a general direction here now. How do we know if somebody's really exercising spiritual gifts? and not being exercised by demons? That's kind of the question here. Well, Paul's answer, one very simple way to know whether somebody is, is, is uh, speaking uh, by the Spirit uh, is whether they, they proclaim this, this very early Christian creed, Jesus is Lord. Now, this is perhaps one of the earliest creeds in Christian history. It's found throughout the New Testament, this proclamation, Jesus is Lord, and the word Lord there has references back to the Old Testament of being Yahweh. It's an affirmation that Jesus is God, and he's saying that nobody can say that except by the Holy Spirit. You say, well, of course, people can insincerely say that. We know, you know, people mock all the time. You know, Jesus is Lord. You know, they they can do that. It's not that they can't utter the words, but they can't mean it sincerely, except for by the work of the Holy Spirit. And certainly we know that anybody who says Jesus is accursed, the word there is anathema, it's the, the, the word for uh, to be accursed. Uh, we use that in historical theology, sometimes in the Reformation, you hear it, let it be anathema, let it be anathema. It's, it's cursed, it's cut, cut off. Why, why would somebody say Jesus is cursed, accursed? Thinking especially about the nature of his death. Right, cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree. So we don't really know who's saying Jesus is accursed. Maybe it's the Jews uh, who are uh, upset about uh, con- people converting to Christianity. Uh, may- maybe it's somebody else. We don't really know, but Paul's point is very simple. One way we can know whether somebody is, is, is operating with true spiritual gifts and not under the influence of demons uh, or idols is that they affirm Jesus is God uh, and they do not say Jesus is accursed, because Jesus is not accursed. Uh, He is Lord. And we can only say that by the Holy Spirit, in the Holy Spirit. It says, now there are a variety of gifts. Now he's getting this. That's a preliminary principle, how we can know somebody is is really working in or by the Holy Spirit, who's under the influences of the Holy Spirit. He goes on to say, now there are varieties of gifts with the same Spirit, and there are varieties of services but the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities, but it, it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. And this is a very important verse, actually. How many people are involved in that verse? Just look at that verse really quickly. Verse 4 through 6. How many people do we see there? How many persons? Hmm? Eight? How do you get eight? Oh, the gifts, yeah, yeah. Not the gifts, the people. Uh, he's going to get to the, the gifts themselves. Let me, let me just give you the answer. The, the answer is, is there's at least three, right? You see the Spirit. Who's that? The Holy Spirit, okay. And then there's the Lord. We just saw the word Lord recently. Who's that? Jesus, okay. And then what does it say a little bit later? The same God. Who, who do you think that is? And so just, just to point out, as you're reading your Bible, it's not the primary point of this text, but... There are so many places in Scripture, we, we think, you know, often it's said, well, there's no 
explicit references to the, the Trinity in the Bible, and so much as the word doesn't appear. It's certainly true enough. But time and time and time again, there are verses in our scripture that highlight the Trinitarian nature of God uh, and his Trinitarian work. And one of those works is in reference to spiritual gifts. Uh, They are given to us by the triune God. And so if you think of a gift like a diamond, it has different aspects. And, And so far as we consider it from the perspective of the Holy Spirit, they are called gifts. Uh, They are given to us by him especially. He's the one who empowers us to do them. Uh, As so far as it concerns the aspect of the Lord, they're called acts of of service, right? They they are ministries that we we serve the Lord Jesus Christ by our gifts. And then so far as it concerns God the Father, he's empowering, he's energizing us uh, to do these things. It's the good works that he's prepared for us. He's accomplishing his work through us. And so... uh, on the whole, the, 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 the spiritual gifts are, are something given to and for the service of, uh, and they are energized by the triune God. Uh, they are not natural talents, so to speak, right? They, they are something supernatural. But perhaps more significantly even than that, in verse 7 it says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Two things there. First, it says to each, and from this we understand that every Christian receives some form of spiritual gift. There is not a, a single Christian who comes to, to, to Christmas, so to speak, and has no gift under the tree, right? Everybody's been given something. And Paul's going to outline uh, a number of spiritual gifts. They're not comprehensive lists. They're, they're representative lists. So it's not as if you can say, well, here's the list of spiritual gifts and which ones do I have? Because the gifts you may have are not necessarily here on this list. They're a representative list. But the point is everyone gets at least a gift. And besides that, and I'll come to Joe, your question in a moment, is, is this idea of the purpose. In verse 7, what is the purpose of those gifts? The common good. Spiritual gifts are not about us at the end of the day. It's not about, I have a greater gift of more honor and more dignity, uh, and so I'm more important. And I have a lesser gift, and so I'm less important. Because it's not about us and our importance at all. The spiritual gifts are for one another, for the common good, for the body. And so the gifts you have are not about you. You've been given a gift, and you've been given a gift or multiple gifts to serve the whole body. Joe, you had a question. Well, I was just going to say, we're coming in the spiritual gift of the Holy Spirit, because mm. that's mm-hmm. and uh, so that would be our common gift. And then the other thing he just brought up on the purpose mm. is... That's how you know when people are, you know, healing people Mm -hmm. and uh, speaking in tongues Mm -hmm. and they're edifying themselves Mm -hmm. and not edifying God. Yeah, in terms of disorderly worship, exactly, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. and Paul's going to get to that more specifically on the subject of tongues and the interpretation of tongues later. Uh, But certainly from now, the preliminary principle, uh, the the spiritual gifts are from the triune God. Uh, Everyone has one, at least one. And they are for the common good. Going on in verse 8, he says, For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit, another faith, the same Spirit, another gifts of healing, the one Spirit, to another working of miracles, another prophecy, another uh, the ability to distinguish between spirits, another the various kinds of tongues, and another interpretations of tongues. And so, again, this is not a comprehensive list 
And what's really important here is not the specific details of each of these individual gifts. Uh, you know, a lot of people are trying to figure out what is the difference between wisdom versus knowledge. Uh, what is faith here? If, we're all, if everybody to be a Christian has faith, what does faith here mean as a gift beyond that? There's a lot of questions about that sort of thing in this text. But I want to just emphasize the very obvious here. Uh, besides the listing of the gifts themselves, what is the recurring sort of phrase uh, that shows up in this section? Yeah, another, another, another. And so there's this, this, this pouring out of gifts on all sorts of people. But besides that, we see this recurring idea of the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit, one Spirit. Um, there's a few more, uh, the same Spirit again, a little bit lower. And so the, the question is, there's this diversity of gifts, and yet what's common to all the gifts is their source, right? Paul here is emphasizing that these are things that come from one spirit. And it's this idea that there's a, a unified source and it's poured out, the, the gifts are poured out on all of God's people and it's for uh, the, the common good, but each, each one another, right? We've got a diversity of gifts from a common source. Uh, and because they're from a common source, uh, I want to highlight at the very end here, all these are empowered by one the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So the Holy Spirit is the source of these gifts, and the Holy Spirit's a person who is acting willfully. And so you, you say, oh, I wish I were a prophet. I wish I spoke in tongues. I wish I could you know, do great miracles. And really... There's nothing wrong with desiring the, 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 the greater gifts. Paul's going to say that later. But fundamentally, there needs to be a disposition of contentment because what we receive from the Holy Spirit is by his will. It's as he wills. The Holy Spirit volitionally, wisely chooses what specific gifts to give each one of you. And so later, as Paul's going to talk about despising and dishonoring and the, sort of the the, the problems with spiritual gifts in the Corinthian church. Uh, we need to remind ourselves that it all comes from the Holy Spirit. Uh, and he, he's, he's wisely given each one of us the gifts that he knows are best, not for just us, but for the body, right? And so, it, you know, there's this tendency in the Christian church, right? And I'll come to your question in a moment. There's a tendency in the Christian church to say, the only way I can, if I really want to serve Jesus then I'm going to go become a missionary or a pastor or a preacher or something like that. And the reality is that the Holy Spirit has given people a variety of gifts, and your gift may be something like you know, administration or encouraging. How many people uh, are just encouragers in the church, and they're, they're, the best thing they can do is not to be in the pulpit, but to encourage those who are? Uh, perhaps with regard to evangelism. You're not uh, particularly suited. Uh, you're not gifted uh, for, uh, for publicly proclaiming the gospel, and yet you have a, a, a gift of faith where you can pray diligently for people who do. And so the body operates best when we exercise the gifts we've been given, not sitting here wishing we had different gifts, right? Uh, you had a question. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say that Paul in Romans 12 or again uses that body yeah. uh, imagery and talks about gifts that are more uh, tangible and certain. Yeah. Yeah. 
So how do you compare and contrast mm. these spiritual gifts he's mm. talking about in First Corinthians mm. versus the, the gifts that yeah. you're just alluding yeah. to, administration, service, giving, yeah. encouraging? I'm not sure I understand the difference between the, the gifts, spiritual gifts versus fi- more physical gifts. Yeah, so that's what I didn't understand as well. So it's all the same. But yeah, I, I don't... I, spiritual yeah. gifts Exactly. I think administration is a very good example, right? We probably don't think of administration as being a spiritual gift. And yet if you've ever been to a church without any sort of administrator, the complete chaos that is worship services and events and activities, it's a very, from a human perspective, it may appear to be a very just human gift. But God has specifically given to his church individuals who are gifted in administration. And it makes a world of difference for how well a church will run when you have gifted administrators. That's one example. Um, that we, could, we could draw a number of examples. I, I don't think there are sort of different types of gifts in that sense, spiritual versus more physical or ordinary. Um, the, the Lord is giving a variety of gifts to his church, and they're all spiritual because they're all from the Holy Spirit. They all serve spiritual uh, ends, and many of them serve physical ends as well. But, um, but you've, you've brought up this, this idea of the body, and that's where we're going to move now with Paul. That's the illustration. So he's been talking about spiritual gifts, the diversity of spiritual gifts, uh, and that each one has one, uh, and that they are, uh, they are for the purpose of uh, the common good. And then he's going to highlight sort of how these things are true, just really drive home his point through this illustration that goes from chapter or verse 12 through the end of the chapter. He says, for just as the body, so he's making a comparison, just as the body is one and has many members, that is arms, legs, etc., all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. He's saying the body of Christ is likened to uh, a human body and that we're we have many members, right? And so the, the point here is that the church, as Christ's body, is not a society. I think this is probably to drive home the, Paul's point from the very beginning. The church is not a society. In a society, you have a bunch of different persons. You have people, right? And they pay their dues, and they reap certain privileges by being members of a society. But a church is a body, it, yes, we know there are actually different people, but the, the, the image, the point of the image is that we are more like a body with many members and that uh, the members are, are, are different and they are all diverse and yet they are mutually dependent on one another. He's going to draw that out uh, a little bit more. Uh, for in one spirit we are all baptized. This is the reason why uh, we are one body. He says, for in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. All were made to drink of the of one spirit. And so again, it's coming to the source of, uh, of, of, of the, the spiritual new birth. Uh, all the gifts come from the spirit. New birth comes from the spirit. Uh, and everybody's in this one body, Jews, Greeks. There's no longer, you know, he's dealing with factions, right? Rich, poor, Jew, Gentile, and he's saying we're all in this together in one body, for the body does not consist in one member, but many, if the foot should say. So he starts, you know, the illustration gets to be a little bit ridiculous, and that's kind of the point. He says, uh, imagine if a foot were to say, I'm not not a hand, I do not belong to the body. Or if a, um, he goes on, uh, if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, uh, that would, so his point is, just because you, you, you say you're not of the body because you, you, you think you have a lesser gift does not make it so. But the body, in fact, is composed of all these members, hands, feet, eyes. Uh, they're all part of the body. 
and they all belong. And so to make that express, pastors belong to the church. People with administration gifts belong to the church. People with gifts of encouragement belong to the church. People with gifts of service belong to the church. There, 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 there is no saying... Uh, this is sort of the, the important people, and these are the not important people, uh, those who belong and those who are kind of not belonging, outcast. That's not how a body works. If the whole body were an eye, so he's, he's reasoning with us, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? For a body to function well, it needs all the members using all their gifts for all the church. And you can imagine the ridiculousness. And we have idioms like this, right? I'm, I'm all thumbs. I've got two left feet, right? <laughs> we understand we, we need fingers and toes. We need knees and hips. And if we don't have these things, the body doesn't do what it's supposed to do well. And so if, if the body is to hear, it needs ears. If the body is to see, it needs eyes. If the church is to proclaim the gospel, it needs preachers. If it's to do it well, it needs administrators. If it is to do all the work it's to do, we need all the gifts from all of God's people for everyone. But as it is, God arranged all the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. Again, it's just the, 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 the intentionality uh, the volitionality of God and the disposition of spiritual gifts. It, they didn't just kind of get scattershot onto the church and, you know, if you happened to be in the right place at the right time, you got a better one. And if you didn't, you know, you got a worse one. No, God has particularly intentionally picked which gifts he's giving to which people. And he's done so well. Each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? It would literally not exist. If you have a pile of arms, what you have is a pile of arms and not a body, right? I mean, maybe a vivid picture, but you know, you think if you've got dismembered limbs, you know, you can't put together five or six arms into a human body. Doctors here, right? Am I wrong? You need a head, you need an arm, you need a leg, you need some organs. You wouldn't get anywhere. Exactly. So the eye cannot say to the hand, so that's sort of the diversity section. He's emphasizing the, 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 the blessing of diverse gifts on God's church. Uh, and now he, he gets to uh, this next section. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again of the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem weaker are indispensable, and those of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor, and on our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. And so there are differences. There's a diversity, and there's a unity uh, but there are, there are differences, and, and Paul is not denying those differences. He's going to say that there are more presentable and less presentable parts, right? Um, there are parts that are more public and parts that are uh, less public, and that's okay. That's the nature of the body. And so, uh, you know, what exactly he's getting at here in terms of weaker parts, maybe uh, it's an illustration of the organs, uh, those inward parts that nobody sees, but they're very important. If you don't have your organs, your body is dead, and so you need the inward parts. Uh, the more presentable parts, maybe t- speaking about the face, right? Everybody sees the face. So you think, you know, just very simply, in a church, you, you come to a church and you see certain people uh, doing certain things. And it's very obvious. You've got the, the WIC greeters who are at the front doors and they're saying hello to people. And it's a visible kind of public-facing uh, exercising of gifts. 
and you go into the worship service, and there is the, the pastor, and perhaps in the evening you have the ruling elders, and they're up there, and they're leading worship, and they're praying uh, publicly, and it's a public-facing ministry. And then you have you know, the women in the nursery in the back, you know, watching the children. Well, how well would the church work if we didn't have people watching the infants? A lot of people wouldn't be able to participate in worship. It's a necessary service, right? Uh, likewise, things like security teams. That's intentionally not public-facing. People don't see it, right? But they're serving the church in these, in these less public ways, and that is something that's necessary and good. Which are more presentable parts do not require, but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no divisions in body, that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers... All suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. So you have unity, you have diversity, you have differences, but you have this fundamental dependency. There, there, there is a, a sympathy, right? If you take the picture of the, of the body, and we're all part of a body, and then our arm gets hacked off, is it just that arm that feels the pain? No, the whole point is the whole body is wreathing in pain, when an arm is cut off. Likewise, when we lose uh, those who have uh, significant spirit, spiritual gifts, right? If they're not exercising them, then we're deprived of the benefit of them. Uh, if they leave or they don't come to church, we're deprived of the benefit. The body suffers for those things. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. I think there's probably a more practical side of this too, right? Uh, having just come off of the discussion about the Lord's Supper and the rich and the poor, uh, the factions that have divided over that, and how some come and feast and get drunk and others leave with nothing, uh, I think there has to be some recognition uh, in terms of physical suffering. When, when somebody is sick in the body, uh, that's somebody who's sick in our body. Their, their sufferings are our sufferings. We ought to pray for them, for their healing. We ought to serve them and try to uh, minister to their physical needs accordingly, Right? Um, in the same way, if people are, um, it says, uh, if one member suffers, all suffer together, if one member is honored. So not just the suffering, but also the honoring, right? It, we're not to be envious when certain people receive certain gifts that maybe we wish we had, right? We are, we are to be content with the gifts that we're given. We're to pray for greater gifts. Sure, that's fine. Uh, but when a person uh, is, I think especially in, in pastoral ministry, how many people get jealous because some other pastor's church is growing or somebody's you know, ministry is getting re really highlighted in, in various ways. And they're just, you know, I labor in a small country church and, you know, why, why, why is this person, you know, so, you know, prominent? And it's easy to get discontent. And Paul's point is the church is one body. As one congregation or as the, 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 the church universal, we're all in this together and it's to our benefit. When, when God raises up prominent pastor preachers uh, who are able to preach the gospel to a great number of people, that's good for the body. And we should not be disappointed that it's not us in that position. Uh, when somebody gets elected to be an elder and other people don't get elected to be an elder, uh, we should be thankful and, and, and grateful for that and not be discontent about it. Uh, maybe in Wick circles, you, you don't get to teach the Bible study. Uh, somebody else gets to teach the Bible study. That's nothing to be discontent about. Somebody's being honored uh, and is, is being able to serve in this way, and we should rejoice in them, uh, whatever uh, their gifts are. 
And so when somebody's honored, we rejoice and we honor them. And when somebody suffers, we suffer with them. That's Paul's point, because we're a body. Now, wrapping up at the very last paragraphs, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping and administrating in various kinds of tongues. And so he's describing, again, a representative list. Some people argue this list is ordered so that the, the higher gifts are first. It's possible. Uh, I, I, I tend to think that it's more historical, chronological. You know, God gave first apostles, and then after he had given the apostles, they were for a period of time. And then after that, they, 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 he gave prophets, and prophecy, uh, especially during the early apostolic church era, was for a time. And now, uh, for the rest of church history, it seems he's given us teachers, that is, people who very ordinarily explain the scripture. We're not, you know, we, we don't recognize the apostle as an office of the church today, right? Uh, they were eyewitnesses of Jesus uh, who performed miracles uh, at a particular time to confirm the message they had. Prophecy, uh, especially in the context of the early church, is recorded all over 1 Corinthians. Uh, but it, again, it's a, a sign uh, at the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and Pentecost and fulfillment of Joel 2. Uh, but it seems to be for a time. And now we have uh, teachers. And so I, I tend to look at this list more in a historical view uh, than a sort of ordered hierarchical view. Uh, but there are differences of opinions there. Uh, but he asked this hypothetical question, right? And this is where he sort of concludes his point. Whatever all these other gifts are, says... Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret? The answer to all those hypothetical questions is what? No. No, 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 no. Not all do this, not all do that, right? Because he's given one to another and another to another and another to another. The diversity of the gifts. And if all people had all the same gifts, we'd all be heads or arms, and there would be no toes or knees and we'd get nothing done. That's his point, very simply. He's not trying to give a, a complete exposition of the details of all these spiritual gifts, which is often what people make this text about. His points are very simple. You know, the, the, the gifts come from God. There is a diversity of gifts given to all people. Uh, there is a, uh, a, a, a dependency of God's body for all these different gifts uh, so that the body would be served. Not everybody's the same. They were never intended to be the same. And then in 31, he says, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. There are higher and lower gifts. And Paul affirms that. And he says we're to desire them. I think especially in the context of the early church, the point is you should be praying for the Holy Spirit to work prophecy and to work the speaking of tongues, which were real languages, not fake ones, FYI. Um, we should, you know, the early church especially should have been praying for these manifestations of the Holy Spirit. And even today, we ought to be praying uh, for higher gifts. Uh, we ought to be praying for great faith, not just little faith. Uh, we ought to be praying uh, that the Lord would give us those things that the church needs in any given moment. Uh, and the Lord will pour out gifts on his church uh, as his people pray. I think about our ordaining of, of uh, ruling elders soon. We've had uh, nominations. They're being trained, and there'll be elections soon. Uh, we need to be praying that God would raise up men to be ruling elders. We need to be praying uh, for uh, pastors, uh, for uh, the Lord to continue giving us gifts uh, for preaching and teaching and these sorts of things. We need to pray for more teachers, frankly. We need people who are able 
to teach the Bible. That's a higher gift, right? And we need people who are able to do it. Uh, but we also need a, any number of lesser gifts as well. And if, if you're thinking to yourself, I don't even know what my gifts are. But you need to pray that the Lord would help you to find what those are and to start exercising them in the body, not for yourself, but for one another. Paul concludes, and I will show you still a more excellent way. Not really sure what he's saying there, to be honest. Anybody have any ideas? Any speculations? Yes. Yeah, I think it's probably transition, right? I think that, uh, that, that seems to be a forward-pointing device uh, that he's going to talk about the way of love, right? You know, we don't get all of our spiritual gifts like yeah. formed right in front of your life no. when you first get saved. So yeah. some of this is, as you seek higher gifts, yeah. he eventually might yeah. reveal yeah. other gifts that you never yeah. knew yet. To, to pray that you're, you'll be more and more used by God and more and more gifted by God. Uh, and then I think, uh, in looking at it, yes, the, uh, the more excellent way clearly refers to the way of love, which his point is, love one another, right? Whatever gifts you have. This thing is this. This is what's preeminent uh, that we love one another. Any questions about the text? We got about two minutes before we need to conclude. I'll entertain one or two questions if we have them. As always, I don't promise answers. I promise to listen. <laughs> what came to mind was just the passage that God loves the Yeah. So Yeah, gifts of giving. Yeah. 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 Exercising your gifts should not be a, a, an act of drudgery. Oh, God gave me the gift of administration, so I guess I better administrate. <laughs> I speak from the heart. <laughs> Are there questions or comments, Joe? Yeah. It talks about not only do you get the diversity of gifts, but you get a diversity of administrations within the gifts. Yeah. Yeah. You could be a teacher of children. Yeah. Yeah. Teens or a teacher of adults. Yeah, yeah. So there's all kinds yeah. of things that are Yeah, and one thing to, to point out is that the gifts don't always coincide with offices, and that's something worth pointing out. Uh, just because you're gifted with uh, teaching does not necessarily mean you will always be teaching a Sunday school or something like that. You may be teaching people individually, privately. Uh, you exercise your gift that way. You may have the gift of administration. That doesn't mean you're the next Mel Duncan, right? Uh, it may mean that you need to help out at a WIC circle or a committee meeting. Uh, and so the, the office doesn't always come with the gift. Sometimes the gifts are given and people are to use them in less public ways. So, and certainly we always use them for God's glory and for one another. Now let's conclude in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit how he has poured out gifts on your people uh, to each one of us. He has done so wisely, uh, and he has, uh, he has given us what we need, Lord. Uh, we may tend towards despising one gift and exalting another, but Lord, we pray that you would help us to, to keep in mind that we are one body and that we have many members, each with his own or her own gift. And I pray that you would help us as a body here Uh, to use our gifts uh, for your glory and for one another, that you would build up your body here, both in number and in Christian maturity, uh, that you would provide all that your church needs uh, of each gift uh, to each person according to your sovereign wisdom. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.